Hi, everyone. Welcome to Being Patient Perspectives. I'm Deborah Kahn, founder of Being Patient. I'm proud um, to announce that today we have joining us um, Pam Montana. She was a former um, Intel executive who was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's disease in her early 60s. Pam, thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely, my pleasure. So I have to say we're getting a lot of insight from um, looking at the first person perspective of what it's like um, to live with Alzheimer's disease. Um, I like to start at the beginning because that's a really confusing time for a lot of people who tell us it takes years to get a diagnosis. Um, can you yeah. share with us where, where it all started with you uh, when you realized you're having a problem with your memory until uh, when you finally got a diagnosis? Sure, I'll try to put it all together. Sometimes I mess up on the dates and all of that, but it was um, the end of 2015 and at Intel every Friday or, you know, I think it's Fridays, maybe it's Thursdays now, I don't really remember, but um, we had a training call, a, a technical training call. And so every Friday we get updates on the new technology and, you know, being a, a leader and a manager in, in my organization, one of my jobs was to make sure that my team knew what was going on and that I had kind of, you know, updated them on what I had learned and what's coming so that when they were talking to their customers that they would have all the information. And I found myself having a hard time, I'll say grasping it or keeping it in my head. And that was new to me. And so I remember very clearly, literally almost writing down like word for word what was being said. Um, I'm a pretty fast writer and I, I can abbreviate pretty easily. And so I, I was having to, I'll say fake it. So I would, you know, I'd listen to the calls, I'd write it down, and then I'd have my staff meetings, and then I'd kind of read my notes and pretend that I was pulling it from my brain. And um, that was kind of the, the start of it. That was, um, you know, when I first realized that something was going wrong. So was it, um, when you say it was in, impacting your work, I mean, you were conscious that you were actually, uh, was it, Inside, were you saying, am I losing my memory or was it just you thought your attention span was getting yeah, more? Yeah, I didn't, you know, Alzheimer's wasn't on my radar at all whatsoever. I didn't think, I mean, I kind of wondered what the heck was going on. I kind of thought, oh, I'm getting old, you know, but I wasn't really old. I think I was maybe 58, 59 when that was all happening. And so I just, you know, it was, it, it was just what was my, I figured it was like a new thing. And then when we moved, um, we were living in Chico at the time, and then my husband and I moved back to the Bay Area. And I was, I was also struggling with remembering conversations with my staff. And it was the same kind of thing. I was literally writing down what they were saying so that next time I met with them, I could follow up on what, you know, what their, their job was or what the activity was that they needed uh, to complete. And it's funny because after the fact, when I went up there, to finally empty out my desk and say goodbye. And they had a party for me and we walked in a walk and all this other stuff that was just amazing. They told me that they wondered what was going on because I had been repeating myself and asking the same questions of them. So you may know, and those on the phone, or sorry, live on Facebook may know, we're the last ones to know we have this disease. Yeah. Usually someone says, what the heck's going on with you? Why are you repeating yourself? Why don't you remember what day it is? Or why don't you remember me or whatever it is? So that's, 
that's how it all started. And then I went to the neurologist and I forgot where I went to college. And that was a big red flag. And so then she referred me to a neuropsychologist and he diagnosed me with mild cognitive impairment. And then my husband kind of jumped in a little bit. And if it wasn't for him, I swear I would still not be diagnosed, but we were on vacation and I asked him three times uh, within a matter of like five minutes where we were going to dinner. And he even pulled the car. He's told me the story a million times, which is the only reason I remember it. He pulled the car over and he said, you know, you just asked me. And I said, no, I don't. And so from that point on, I have never been to the doctor alone. So that's my first nugget for everyone on the line. If you think something's wrong, you have got to have someone with you who actually knows what you're doing and what you're saying and what it, how it's manifesting itself because we don't we don't really know. Well, and that makes sense because you don't yeah. if, you're, if you're losing your memory, you don't have memory of how you're losing your memory. Yeah, right? I know it's kind of crazy, but I was you know I was going to the doctor by myself. I'm like I'm a big girl, I can handle this, and I've been independent my whole life, so. I have a tendency to push people away sometimes, but I've learned not to. Yeah, and and I mean, I I um I know the self awareness you had at work um, was um, in some ways a lot of people they they really keep that to your themselves. You know, you think oh it might be normal aging, although I mean what sixties new forty or thirty or whatever yeah, you want to call it. At all, yeah. Yeah, so I'm sure like at that point in time, I mean, was it scary to you? How did you feel? Were you thinking something might be wrong or were you just thinking, uh, I can't remember it anything anymore? scary until things started, you know, I was repeating myself. It wasn't scary when I, I would start at the beginning with like the work and the, you know, not learning the technology and not remembering the technology and that kind of thing. It wasn't scary until it, I'll say like started to become real. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, And was that I, after diagnosis where the reality No, changed? it was, uh, well, of course, after the diagnosis, I was devastated. And, you know, we had to have a little, you know, crying moment and all that kind of stuff. But I also was relieved because I knew something was wrong and no one believed me. So, you know, getting into UCSF was a huge thing. Getting in the research department was amazing because that's how they found out that I had all the, you know, tau and um, amyloid in my brain. You can't, you know, there's really, you could do a test, but I did pretty well on the memory test, which I can't think, MMPI or whatever the heck it's called. I did okay on that, but the research and the radioactive dye in my brain showed very clearly, you know, that I, that I had Alzheimer's. So that was, that was the biggest blow to us and to our family. And we were with Dr. Boxer, the other Dr. Boxer, and there were like 12, 15 people in the room when they gave me my diagnosis. And I was with my husband and my two daughters. And it was, it was, I mean, I'll never forget that day. That was, that was rough. Did, how long, um, Pam, did it take you um, during that duration of, you know, I'm, I'm feeling like there is more problem. And you mentioned your husband really pointing out that you're having memory issues. How long did it take before you actually got that diagnosis when you, you enrolled in the research? Uh, over a year, because to go, especially for a neuro neurologist, you, you don't get an appointment in like a week. They are seriously backed up. It's like, you know, six months down the road or so that you get the appointment and then you meet with them and then, oh, now I need to meet with the neuropsychologist. Okay. Well, again, that's, 
you know, that's a few months out. And then once I met with them, he agreed to study me, so to speak, or have, you know, have me come back. Well, then that was another few months. And at that point in time, I was on sabbatical. That was the end of uh, 2015. So that was actually kind of a blessing. And then at the, at the beginning of 16, I told my boss that things were starting to change and that I was going down the path. And I, and I went out on short-term disability. I, I, I just couldn't perform, so to speak. And I didn't want to mess up. I didn't want to, you know, everybody to find out and be talking about me behind my back or anything like that. And so that's when I went out on short-term disability was the beginning of 16. And then ultimately that turned into long-term disability. And of course I never went back. You so you've now been living um, with a diagnosis for about a, a few years now, three years. Or yeah, so. three years, four years. Well, twenty sixteen. Yeah, three years. It's nineteen now. Yes. Do you feel? Um, do you notice that? You know, I, I guess when I um, when my mom was diagnosed, what surprised me most about Alzheimer's disease was I always thought it was kind of like a cliff that you just go down and your memory gets worse and worse and worse. And what's, what surprised me in the presentation of her symptoms is some days she seems absolutely fine and other days she doesn't, right? And it's yeah. this pattern like this. Um, have you noted that in the first, I mean, I know you're still at a, a, an early stage, um, but yeah. what what have you noted in with in terms of the progression or, or not um, with it's this? not disease? like that, whatever you call that. Yeah. Mine is like, like this, like a slow landing of an airplane. And things have definitely changed and things have definitely gotten harder. And things, I mean, if, if my daughter or, you know, my, my husband was here, they would give you a lot more examples than I could. So it's, it's definitely gotten worse. Things have gotten harder. The thing that's the most frustrating for me is that the piece that is the hardest for me to deal with right now is executive function and multitasking and um you know a, a few months ago i couldn't remember how to copy and paste a document and i was devastated because being in technology my entire life not just at intel but at ncr and at&t been using a computer since dirt you know since there was one probably and to i can still type and i can still do email but there's certain things that i'm like oh wow i don't i forgot i forgot how to do that so that's been rough and my memory, you know, day in and day out, I think is okay. I know you talked to Phil and some other people and Jeff, um, love them by the way, if they're on the line, they're great friends of mine and, and we were all early stage advisors together. We all have such different symptoms and, you know, I do drive, but I visually things are a little bit different too. And I only drive where I've been before. I can't, I can't multitask. I can't drive and have navigation on. I mean, I could theoretically, but I don't. So thankfully I've lived here forever and I go where I've gone. I, I, you know, I could drive there blindfolded. I would say, you know, I could walk there. I, and that's kind of the rule of thumb that I'm using right now for my driving. And I did pass the, uh, written test recently, so I'm legally able to drive as well. But I feel like I'll I'll be self monitoring that. That'll yeah. probably fix, but hopefully not for a while. So what you say about um, the map and driving at the same time is is particularly interesting to me because um, I think it's this uh, you lose the ability to kind of think about two things at one time. Is right. that 
multitasking is not yeah. none of us should ever multitask let's get that out on the table but we have all been doing <laughs> it our whole lives <laughs> and working at intel for 17 years i had to multitask or i wouldn't have survived yeah. but i i really can't you know i really can't I, I wrote some notes down um just in case and i i would never i would never have been trying to do that right now like if something popped into my head i'm not writing it down you know what i mean like i yeah. i gotta i have to set things up now and be, and have my planning is completely different and our vacations are completely different and you know things like that uh, one of the things that has struck me since we started being patient perspectives is i'm learning so much about the presentation of this disease um to you know uh, different people and what's making me realize there there are so many manifestations and there's actually so much we don't know about how Alzheimer's impacts different people. Yes. Would you agree with that? Oh, totally, totally. I, I'm in a support group uh, at the Alzheimer's Association in Northern California, who, as I mentioned, when we first started chatting, has been just a lifesaver for me. Um, the Alzheimer's Association has definitely um, really helped me deal with this and also given me a purpose by giving me the opportunity to be on the board of directors and things like that. But there's about seven of us, maybe eight of us, and we meet every week with a clinical, whatever, psychologist, therapist, I'm not sure. And we are all different. Every single person in that room have a, have a different manifestation, have different symptoms, are at different, um, you know, like they've had it first, I don't know how to say, it, but like one of the women's has had it longer than me, so, and she has aphasia, so she doesn't speak as well. Um, anyway, it's just, it's amazing to me, but we all have a very, very similar, we all have Alzheimer's, but some of us have, you know, different types of it. What has it meant, um, Pam, for you to participate in the research? Are, are you getting anything out of that? Uh, well, <laughs> I, I get a lot of pride in, I got a lot of pride in doing everything I could to help us find a cure. So I was in the Roche Genentech clinical trial, which was canceled. I know you've spoken to some people that were in Amgen. Uh, Roche was canceled first. Amgen was canceled literally two weeks later. And I was not happy because I felt like all of, I felt like it was part of my job. You know, my new job now is to raise awareness, raise money, and help find a cure, you know, and advocate. And so I lost the help find a cure part of my job with the clinical trial being canceled. So I had a moment. Uh, and then there's another trial that I'm trying to qualify for now with Eli Lilly. And I'm, I'm kind of excited about that. I hope I qualify. But I'm also know that everything happens for a reason. And, you know, whatever God has in store for me, I'm just, I'm here. I'm, in, I'm, a, I'm a vessel, you know, let me know what I'm supposed to be doing to help other people and to help find a cure and I'll, I'll do it. So I'm noting a lot of people are um, who are listening in must know you. Um, you're getting many thanks um, saying thank you so much for the money that you raise and, and also oh. your, participation, <laughs> um, your participation in research. It's obviously uh, making a big impact on this community. So um, your fans are watching. <laughs> oh, thank you. Hi, everybody. <laughs> yes, last year I was the top fund or the second uh, highest fundraiser for the walk at 33,000. And the year before that, I was the top fundraiser. 
So that's another, that's kind of, again, part of my job once a year is raising money for the walk. Uh, this year it's in uh, San Ramon on the, on the Iron Horse Trail. So we're pretty excited about that. That's amazing. So you've now really made Alzheimer's um, the focus of your life in a positive way. I mean, obviously you don't have a choice in one sense, but you've transitioned your career from an executive at Intel to really becoming an activist. So tell us a little bit about um, how that how that is. Has it? I mean, it's obviously helped give you a, a, yeah. a new focus. Yeah. Well, I'm a doer. And, you know, as I told you, we got the diagnosis and we spent one night, you know, crying and having a few drinks. And, you know, at the same time, we'd been waiting for a diagnosis. So it was also validation that I wasn't crazy. And so that was kind of a big deal. Even though I didn't want that news, I was actually finally, you know, relieved that, okay, great. Now we know, now I can move forward. And so the next day I changed my Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, like every profile there is on the planet. And I proclaimed basically to the world, I have Alzheimer's. I'm going to do the best I can for the rest of my life to find a cure, raise money, raise awareness, and, you know, pass whatever legislation we can to, um, you know, raise awareness. And I, I can't imagine not doing this. I mean, this is my job. This is my life. And at the same time, there's plenty of days I don't ask for money or, you know, write to Congress or anything like that. But they, I feel like the Alzheimer's Association gave, gave me like my life back because during the waiting period, it was in limbo and it was horrible. And I don't even remember what I was doing, quite frankly. I was doing something, but I certainly wasn't working. And so, you know, I just feel like this is what I was meant to do. And I love it and I'm happy to do it and I'll do it as long as I can. And I, you know, I'm a giver. I'm, I want to help other people. And I, I, and I do, I think I am. So that makes me feel good as well. It's wonderful that you have made this your focus and helping yeah. um, so many other people um, who are in the same situation as you are. Can you tell us, Pam, a little bit about how, um, uh, how this has impacted your daily life. I mean, it seems like you still have a fair amount of independence if you're still driving. Um, I'm sure your husband yeah. is very supportive. Uh, yeah. But how how has Alzheimer's disease impacted your daily life? It's been interesting. I mean, it's I have to intentionally make plans. And I've never had to do that in my life. At Intel, I was working, you know, seven to seven at least you know, sometimes later. I mean, I would sit in this office, in this desk, you know, for hours on end with conference calls and with meetings. And when I was done with that, I'd do email. The next thing I knew it was, you know, 10 o'clock at night. So there are some days, yesterday I didn't leave the house, but I had a great day. I read a book. I cleaned, I wrote, I wrote some bills. I cleaned out my office. Um, I went outside. I sat in the sun. I did some meditation. You know, I don't, I don't just lay around and, you know, sleep or cry or do anything like that. So I try to make the most of it. You know, today I had a bunch of other stuff to do. So I went out of the house. A lot of days I have amazing friends, some of them who probably are on the phone, who like to take me to lunch. And so I have been very spoiled with a lot of lunch dates and dinner dates and just, you know, a lot of socialization, which is great. You know, I go to the gym, I go to yoga, I go for a walk, you know, I lay down with my kitty. I watch Grey's Anatomy. I mean, you know, before you know it, it's like 
time for dinner and then time for bed. So it's, it's, some days are harder to fill the day, but most of the days I intentionally uh, make a list and, and really get out. Did you change, um, you mentioned meditation, yoga, did the lifestyle, um, did you always do that or did that, those come? I did, I did. From many years ago, um, way back, I don't even know, I was looking at some notes in some of my journals. I have about 12 journals. I've been journaling for a long time and I've been meditating for a long time. And on some of my down days, I like to look at my journals from many years ago. And I think Ariana Huffington was the one that kind of shook, you know, my cage and because I was working, 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 and and I think didn't she almost have a heart attack or something yeah, happened? Yeah, with her. had exhaustion or something. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And so I've been listening to Oprah and Deepak for ages, and um, they're they're very helpful to me. And I like to sit in the backyard and journal and hang out with the birds and the flowers. And you know, I didn't get to do that. You know, I got I did it on the weekends, but I wasn't able to do that when I was working. So I, again, I just every day do what I can. Well, thank you, Pam. I'm I'm sincerely grateful to hear your perspective. Um, it certainly provides us with a lot of insight. What can people do to maybe get in touch or um, help with your mission um, with, within the Alzheimer's Association? Should there be a specific place they can go to, to get in touch or keep um, abreast of what you're doing? Absolutely. I Well, pretty much Facebook, I guess. I mean, I'm on Facebook and Instagram and I do, I do write a blog as well. And then I post my blogs on Facebook. And if you're in, interested at all in getting involved with the Alzheimer's association, I would call the 800 number. And then I would ask them to give you the closest chapter office. And I'm telling you, you will never find a better staff. I don't care where it is. Cause I've met people from all over the country and they really could use help. They could use help volunteering. They could use help stuffing packets. They could use help answering phones. I mean, again, you know, this, you know, every 65 seconds, someone's diagnosed and two thirds are women. So yeah, this is only going to continue to exponentially. It just, it has already, but even get worse. Yeah. So yeah, that would be great. They could also come walk with us. They could donate to the walk. They could start their own walk. They can join the, the Alzheimer's impact movement. I mean, there's a lot of ways to get involved, but probably starting with the chapter and then deciding which path works for you. We do need people that are healthy to be part of clinical trials. So signing up for trial match would also be fabulous. So things like that. Yeah, well, you obviously uh, spelled it out. There's a lot of work to be done, right? And yeah, uh, definitely. Thank yeah. you so much um, for sharing your story and also giving us um, the opportunity to understand like how you've dedicated your life, how this disease has changed your life, both from someone who has Alzheimer's disease to someone who's trying to make a difference. So we are very grateful um, for your perspective. Now, um, some people may have questions after the fact. Um, we'll, they'll, they'll be on our, our uh, Facebook page and we will direct okay. them to you. Okay. Um, but in the meantime, um, thank you very much. And you can um, see this interview again. We always repost all of these interviews on beingpatient.com. Um, thanks, Pam, and we will stay in touch. Thank you very much for the opportunity.